Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, Amy McGrath returns to the public scene. The retired lieutenant colonel who ran for the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate will talk about her new book and what's next for her. Amy McGrath a little bit later. But first, Fayette County's new school superintendent is on the job and getting everything ready for the classes to begin next week. Dr. Demetrius Liggins was chosen after a five-month nationwide search for a new leader for public schools in Lexington. He comes to town from the Greenville School District in the Dallas area of Texas. Dr. Liggins begins his tenure in a very challenging time as the pandemic is leading to new rules and restrictions. We welcome Dr. Demetrius Liggins. Thanks so much for coming, Mr. Absolutely. Superintendent. Appreciate you. it very much. Thank you for having me. Ten days on the job. You were yes. saying effective today and you haven't run yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> what attracted you to the, to the job as a Fayette County Superintendent? Well, to be honest, there's some amazing things that are happening here. Um, some of the the programs and the choices that our families get to choose for their students in a public education environment is just absolutely fascinating to me. And um, there are some challenges that still exist, however. I don't um, think that we're doing a good enough job of reaching all of our students and all of our zip codes. and. Um, backgrounds and income levels and making sure that they're achieving at the high levels as um, the, the their counterparts and so really just uh, I felt like with all of the amazing things going on as well as the things that fit my skill set that were still a need would um, be a great fit. You started as a superintendent as a, as a teacher before you were a superintendent. I right? did yes at my core I am a teacher that's who I am and I think even leadership um, is about teaching and growing um, um, other leaders. And so I was a classroom teacher, then became a, an assistant principal, then a principal at elementary, middle, then high school. And so I've worked my way through the system. This is a very challenging time with the COVID uh, spreading once again. Uh, some students uh, have uh, uh, emotional and even physical needs from what they have already been through yes. uh, with this. And, and, and here we are again. Uh, so how much will schools have to really have their arms around those kids in order for them to succeed? Well, this is a challenging year. It, it is a time for us to make sure that safety and the health of our students and staff is priority. And as you know, I made the tough decision, my first decision to, um, to require masks. Um, come moving forward. But that decision was ultimately made because we looked at all of the restrictions we would have to put on students if we didn't require masks in certain you know, degrees of the, um, the variant being spread through our community and ultimately decided if we just have our kids wear masks, they can have as normal of a school year as possible. We didn't have to worry about field trips or other activities. It was let's have a normal school year, whatever that means now, of course, and um, just require masks. And so it really came down to what's in the best interest of kids. And of course, we want to make sure they're in person learning and uh, making up a lot of the gaps that exist because of last year. How much did you agonize about the decision about masks or was that easy when you looked at the information? It was, it was truly, it was it wasn't an easy decision. I will tell you it was, I do believe that um, in parent choice, but I also believe in science. And when speaking with um, the, the doctors and the scientists and the medical community and understanding as a educator, not as a um, scientist myself, that my job is to make sure that we provide an environment that's conducive to learning. 
it was a no-brainer at that point. It became a little bit easier to say we have to require masks because we want our kids in person learning and that's the only way to do it with of course other um, metrics in place. Will the school system be prepared to retreat to virtual learning if it comes to that? We're hoping it doesn't come to that right. um, but of course no one knows what to expect um, and we're, we're preparing for any situation but at this point we are committed to um, having in person as long as possible. You made reference earlier to what locally has been called the achievement gap uh, yes. uh, over the years. Uh, it's long been noted in, uh, in Fayette County schools along socioeconomic and racial lines uh, for many years. How do you make sure that there is an environment where every student can reach his or her potential? I think it comes down to the opportunities we're providing for students. Um, and I think it, you have to pay close attention to the inequities that exist. Um, within a system um, and you that has to be a constant focus of everyone in the organization equity isn't just one department or one person's job it's all of our jobs and also making sure that we get the right adults with the right children um, some adults really thrive in those environments we need to find those adults and teachers and educators that have been extremely successful with our populations that have historically struggled and see how can we make sure that those teachers and staff are with those students and um, and in some instances incentivize them um, doing that because it is hard work and but it's worthwhile work and we need to put the work in. How important is it to, to you that parents and legal guardians be directly involved with the with the education of students? Oh, I think that's extremely important in any um, organization that is um, involves children especially an educational institution we're partners and it takes um, the entire partnership to make sure that we are working in tangent for that child's success. And so that's of critical importance and we want to make sure that we create an environment where our parents know that they're not only needed, but they're extremely welcome. What would you say it would be a, a couple of key goals that you have going into this and how will you measure success? It's a great um, question and I tell you, Again, it's day 10. and But I'm really looking forward to this school year to trying to create as normal of environment as possible and ensuring that our kids are in person. That is my number one goal and ensuring that we keep our students and staff safe. Um, thereafter, after my first 100 days or so, I'd really plan to, uh, my entry plan, looking and meeting a lot of people, learning a lot of structures and systems. And I really plan to have a much clearer outlook as to the direction we'll be going. What do you think people should expect from your leadership style? Will, will you be out in the community and out in the schools uh, meeting with people or uh, do you like to you know, stay at the office and have people come see you? No, I, I, I do a little bit of both, um, I will tell you, but I am, I'm a very much a hands-on type leader. Um, I love being around the kids, so I will be on campuses quite a bit. Um, that's where the work is happening, and so that's um, where I, I feel I need to be in order to know what's going on and to be able to lead the organization. Um, but I, I, I'm truly, I've, I've been out in the community the last few um, days I've been here and during my transition did quite a few um, community events and have really been overwhelmed with the warm welcome I've received um, here in Lexington in Fayette County and I will tell you I'm excited about uh, getting to work and meeting more people and uh, getting involved in a variety of things. As you know uh, a curriculum is often 
discussed and dissected in this uh, the time that we're living in right now, a lot of uh, social change and upheaval in the country and, and, and here locally. Uh, do you expect some uh, frank discussions about uh, the way history is taught and, and uh, social studies are, are taught uh, going forward uh, in Fayette County Schools? Well, currently, there's our social studies curriculum is what it has been um, for a while. My understanding, it hasn't changed. Um, I know there's been question about critical race theory, whatever one defines that as. Um, our history is our history. Um, our teachers teach history as it as it is. Our students, um, if we're having a engaging lesson, our students will inquire of certain aspects of history, and it's our teachers' job to. Um, to fulfill those curiosities and to answer those questions or to lead those students in the right direction to where they can research those things on their own. So um, I don't see anything changing about the way we deliver history or any other lesson. We're going to engage our students and uh, make sure that we're piquing their curiosities and making sure that they're able to, to learn at their um, highest levels. How important are athletics uh, to you uh, for, for students, uh, you know, interscholastic uh, yes. sports? Well, I, I'm a pretty big extracurricular guy. I think very few students um, come to school because they're really, really excited about that um, Algebra One class. Um, there are some. Um, and But of so many of our students come to school because they're excited to um, play on that um, football team or volleyball team or they're excited about going to, uh, to band and having band practice. And so I think our co-curricular really contributes very well to our core curricular um, activities and they, they work in tangent and you can't have one without the other. What have you learned about Lexington since you've been here that you, uh, that you like? Well, so far, and people keep telling me this is not typical weather, but I'm loving the weather. <laughs> it's been nice. <laughs> yes, it's been very nice. Um, and I, again, I've just been, everyone's been so kind and so welcoming and so warm and just getting to, just to, to know different um, people and the organizations that are willing to support the school and partner with us. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to a great time because I, I think this community really embraces its schools and um, want to see us succeed and that, that makes a huge difference. Again, 10 days on the job, but people are sometimes interested in stability and there have been superintendent changes over the years. Do you see this uh, potentially as long term for you? Well, I, I am loving it. I have a four-year contract. The board has given me a four-year contract and that is extendable whenever uh, they decide to do so. But um, so far, 10 days on the job, I hadn't seen any reason to run so I'm, I'm 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 committed will you come back and keep us informed absolutely we yes, appreciate sir. you coming today thank you very thank much thank you I appreciate Dr. your time Dr. Liggins welcome to uh, to Lexington and we're coming back in just a moment on WKYT and Amy McGrath who uh, you remember made a couple of uh, big political runs well she's up to some new things and we'll be back with her on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Glad to have you with us. Amy McGrath returns to the scene with a new book called Honor Bound that details her groundbreaking military career, her swing at continuing public service and politics as well. She was born in northern Kentucky but became a household name statewide during campaigns for a U.S. House seat in 2018 and a nationally watched challenge to Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell in 2020. Now Lieutenant Colonel McGrath is reflecting on her experiences while also beginning 
beginning a new chapter at the University of Kentucky, where she'll be teaching national security policy this fall. Uh, that's within the Patterson School of Diplomacy. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath joining us on Kentucky Newsmakers, not as a candidate for one. Right, I know. <laughs> Strange. So we appreciate you coming in, though. It, it is a bit unusual. You ran two uh, grueling campaigns mm -hmm. in uh, there in a couple of years. What is it like to have some time now to uh, to reflect and uh, to uh, be relaxed with your kids and family? It's wonderful. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, um, for every season, there's there's something to do and. Uh, I wrote this book, as we'll, we'll talk about, about my experiences and what's going on in our country, but I've also had a chance to spend a lot of time with my kids. I'm coaching uh, soccer this fall and, uh, and, you know, baseball this spring, this past spring, so it's been a lot of fun. Tell us about Honor Bound, why you decided to write it, and uh, I note yeah. that it begins uh, talking about the fact that, uh, as a woman, you were not allowed to, to fly when you uh, right. came of age and wanted to do that. Well, it's a story that I hope inspires people. Um, I wrote it to inspire a younger generation to follow their dreams, even in the midst of um, pretty tough obstacles, that it takes hard work, uh, what's patriotism about. And I also wrote it to talk about American values and where we're at today. So, you know, the, the book is about my life, but it's also at the very end about the campaigns um, that I ran and why I ran them. Uh, and, you know, I'm really excited about it because there's a, some, uh, some stories that I didn't get to tell uh, on the campaign trail that I have written about in the book. Tell us a little bit about that. So if people well, stories, so a lot of them are, are combat related. Um, some I talk about my feelings um, going overseas, coming back. I have lost some friends in combat, um, what that was like. I talked about growing up and what possessed me to go into the military and um, the, the sort of patriotism that I got for our country um, throughout my time in the military. And then I wrote the last chapter um, right after January 6th. So I had a lot of feelings about the state of our country at that point, and so that chapter is um, you know, pretty emotional about what we need to do uh, going forward in our country. You know, also, uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is approaching, mm -hmm. and uh, you had important duties yeah. at that time. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, 9-11, um, of course, was a, a day that changed so many lives, not only in our country and in America. That morning, I was stationed at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego, California. I was a very junior aviator uh, at the time. And just by chance, I, my commanding officer, my executive officer, basically, I was the only one available, one of very few aviators available to hop into an F-18 fully loaded with six air-to-air -air missiles um, ready to launch and we would launch to defend Los Angeles or San Diego, the west coast of the United States of America at that point, uh, because we didn't know uh, who was going to attack. And so that's what I did for about four hours on the morning of 9-11, right after we you know, went to DEFCON 4. Uh, I was on runway 24 left with one engine on and one engine off to conserve fuel and then we could, if given the, the launch you know, to go, we'd turn that other engine on and, and go. Adrenaline is no doubt flowing, but I mean, it was surreal because yeah. it was never something I imagined doing or training to do, yet this is what Uncle Sam was asking me to potentially do, and, you know, we were ready. 
we were trained, we were ready to go, and we weren't going to let this country down. What were your thoughts on January 6th as you saw what happened in the U.S. Capitol? Shame. Um, that our country would be, our capital would be breached and attacked for the first time since 1814, uh, when the Confederate flag you see flying in the rotunda. Um, it was shocking to me. And then, of course, the aftermath of that. Um, I felt, like many Americans, that, okay, enough is enough. I was pleased to see, of course, Senator McConnell go on the, on the, the Senate floor and, and condemn these attacks. But then, of course, a week later, you, you see the opposite. You, you saw one side, um, Republicans, many of them, not all, thank God, but many of them, you know, defending these attackers and trying to downplay uh, the insurrection. And so I'm, I'm very concerned about this because it was predicated on a big lie that our last president um, is still talking about, that he somehow won the election, which he did not. And this is, this is a real problem. Um, just this morning in, um, in, in the news, they're talking about uh, the Russians putting disinformation into our, into our news cycles. Um, not only from vaccines, but also to perpetuate this lie. So, I mean, this is very big concern to me for our democracy. When you decided to enter politics, did you have any idea how tough that game would be? <laughs> yeah, I, I knew it would be tough. I knew it would be particularly tough in Kentucky. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. Uh, usually the things that are worth doing are the toughest things. Uh, even if you don't succeed in, in, at the end of the day. And we absolutely succeeded in making the majority leader the minority leader. And that was important. You know, after my race ended uh, in November, we rolled our entire uh, finance operation over to help the races in Georgia, the runoffs. And a lot of people believed that we couldn't win those races in Georgia, and we did. And uh, we did that because we helped with the resources there. And I think, I personally believe that that is a really important thing for our country because we're getting things done now like the infrastructure bill, like the COVID relief bill. Um, those, are, those are important things. You, you're being very active in this. Absolutely. You're, you're not a candidate now, but I, I hear that you're talking with uh, uh, members of Congress, you're talking with candidates and potential candidates. I mean, this is, uh, this is part of you going forward, right? It is, and, and Bill, this whole thing was never about me. It was about getting better leaders in our government. And while I wished I was one of them, um, it wasn't in the cards for me here in Kentucky. And, and that's okay. What it's about is getting better leaders in our government, and that is what I'm focused on. That's what I'm focused on with uh, the initiative that I've started, Honor Bound, uh, the same title of my book. It's an initiative, it's a 501c4 that will inspire and support women, uh, in particular women who have served this country, step into the political arena in races they can win. And, uh, and help them do that. I mean, I think that's really important. Do you intend to appear on a ballot again? <laughs> right now, I'm in a supporting role. I think I have run two pretty hard races here in Kentucky, um, and I want to support others. I think that's the right thing to do uh, going forward. But I will say this. I, I'm somebody that, that wants to serve this country, and I'm going to find the best way 
to do that going forward. Uh, you, in your book, it's interesting, very early on, you address the fact that uh, while you're this uh, uh, historic uh, woman fighter pilot out there, you missed Kentucky terribly yeah. at times. Uh, what, what was it? What kept coming to mind about uh, your home state? The people. Um, it was my family, my friends that were all here in Kentucky and the love that they had for their community, for our wonderful commonwealth and for this country. Uh, you know, I've lived all around the United States, I've lived all around the world, but I've always felt like home was right here. And, and so, you know, and I write about that in the book, and I will always feel that way, no matter where I go or what, what we do. You're going to be teaching at the University of Kentucky this fall, mm -hmm. uh, and you've taught before I have. in military uh, yeah. schools. Uh, what will this be like? What, what will the course be? Well, I'm really excited about it. I'm teaching at the Patterson School, uh, which is a graduate school of diplomacy and international trade, uh, international commerce. And um, I'm going to be teaching national security policy, which is really my expertise. Uh, about a third of it will be sort of more history and, and a little bit of theory. And the middle of it will be about decision making, how we make national security decisions in this country. And the final third will be about uh, what are the threats to the future? What, what should our national security uh, really focus on in the future? I mean, here we are in the middle of a coronavirus that has killed, what, 600,000 you know, Americans uh, potentially. And you know, what does that look like? And not only looking at sort of the non-traditional threats, but also the traditional ones, of course. Should students be nervous that they'll have a tough professor? <laughs> Well, I I don't think so. I'm I'm more of a, I come at things from a um, not so much a, a an academic I guess PhD sort of theory um, perspective. I come at things from an operator perspective. So I think that's what they should expect. Could you see it going that way for you though, becoming more of an academic? I think that's a part of uh, what I love. I I do love um, teaching. I'm not sure that I want to do that uh, forever, which is you know, why I never pursued that path. But I do think that going back in and out of that is really important. The, be the best teachers I had, some of the best teachers I had at the Naval Academy were ones that went in and out of government. Yeah. You uh, ran against Charles Booker last year for the Democratic nomination, and you know he was really charging there uh, at the end, obviously. Do you predict he could be a formidable candidate against uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul next year? You know, I think it takes an enormous amount of courage for anyone to jump into the arena, and I wish Charles Booker the best in, in what his role is right now going up against Rand Paul. If people want to read your book, Honor Bound, uh, how can they find it and what will they find? Uh, well, they can find it online at Amazon.com. They can um, go to my website, AmyMcGrath.com. Um, I think what they're going to find is an is a inspirational story of American values. And I'm really excited because it talks about my life, but it also talks about a lot of the people who um, helped along the way, um, just patriotic Americans um, who uh, have influenced me. And I would love to tell people about them and their story. So it was fun to write. Uh, if they're interested in my organization that is supporting women, um, not only women veterans, but women who have served the country in the FBI, CIA, et cetera, AmeriCorps, to get into office, then it's honorboundamericans.com. Uh,
You enjoyed writing this book, and and then you also did the audio part. I did. So that took a few days. It took right? four days in a studio, and I I recommend that everybody does a memoir, and uh, and and reads it out loud because it was certainly interesting. Amy McGrath, good to have you come by. We appreciate it, Lieutenant Colonel, you being uh, with us today, and and uh, you know in less than the pressured environment of the campaigns that where you've been here before. We appreciate it. Thanks we'll be well. back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The Senate is on track to pass the largest standalone infrastructure bill in decades. The bipartisan deal is a major feat in this highly polarized government in Washington. But can lawmakers get it across the finish line? Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has more. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. This past weekend, the Senate drafting a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal. Now it is racing against the clock to vote. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he will keep the Senate in session past the scheduled August 9th recess if the bill is not passed. Hundreds of proposed amendments are slowing down the process. We'll have to wait and see what the final version of this bill contains. We know the original version calls for $550 billion in new federal funding over five years. $65 billion would go towards expanding broadband. $73 billion would modernize the electric grid. And nearly $8 billion would create a federal network of electric vehicle charging stations. New funding would also be invested in traditional infrastructure priorities. Senators budgeted $110 billion for roads, bridges, and transportation projects. $66 billion for passenger and freight rail. And that is just some of the projects mentioned in the roughly 2,700-page bill. The infrastructure deal is not the only matter keeping the Senate busy. Majority Leader Senator Schumer says senators must pass a budget resolution and write instructions for the upcoming budget reconciliation process before leaving town. That will let Democrats move forward with their $3.5 trillion package without a single Republican vote, provided all the Democrats are on board. The Democratic plan focuses on social programs and human infrastructure. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. And that's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT this morning, and we certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.